last week was Nehemiah was a man that was used in, in a great way by God. He was a man that believed God and obeyed God. And because of this man, through this man, God was able to, to bring restoration to a whole city. What we learned last week was that as we go to the book of Nehemiah, the people of Israel, they had been in captivity for years and years and years. They were in captivity, taken into captivity because of their sin. They had been taken away from the promised land, that place that God had led them, that place that God had given them, that promised land. And they had been taken away from the city of that promised land, the, the center city of that promised land, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem was always intended by God for it to be a city where he is known and he's worshipped and he's loved and he's adored. And because of the fact that the people were to be in the city and in a right relationship with God, everything in the city was to be as things as God intended things to be. It was to be the ideal city among all the nations, the place where God was known and loved. And because of that, everything sprung out in a, in a godly way, a city that should be as God intended it to be. The problem was that the people didn't obey God. The people of Israel had not obeyed God. And in fact, they were continuously rebellious against God. And he had told them, if you continue to be rebellious, I'm going to allow your, your, your enemies to come and take you captive. And that's exactly what happened. They took them out of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was in a destroyed, in a place of total destruction. The place that God intended for it to be, that ideal city, was now in ruin. And the people had gone far away from it, taken into captivity in Syria and Babylon. Nehemiah is a man who's in that area of captivity. He's in a city called Susa, we learned last week. And we had learned that God had begun to allow some of the Israelites back into Jerusalem to begin repairing the city, restoring the city, renewing the city to be the city that God intended it to be. And last week we heard that a remnant from Jerusalem came to Nehemiah when he was there in Susa and began to tell him about the continued devastation that the city faced. And what we learned last week was that God intends to use people who will believe him, who will obey him. He will use people like that, just like you and me, if we're willing to accept the call to believe his faithfulness in such a way that his power and spirit is used through us to actually be a part of the renewal that he intends to bring in a ruined city. Just as Nehemiah was used in Jerusalem, he can use you today in Memphis and in our world. I believe that God intends a great renewal here at Memphis. Do you agree with me? I believe that God intends a great renewal for us here in Memphis. I believe that with all of my heart. He wants that. God desires that, and it's possible. Listen, God is faithful and able to bring renewal through us to our city if we're willing to believe and obey him. Nehemiah was no extraordinary guy. The, the theme of the story is really God's faithfulness. Nehemiah just got to be a part of it because he believed God, and he obeyed him. Last week we learned that God is faithful. Amen? And he's able. Amen? To bring renewal. God can do it. Will we allow him to do it? Will we believe him? Will we obey him? And the first thing we learned last week was that renewal in any city always begins with who? Everybody point at yourself. You should use multiple fingers to point at yourself. It begins with me. 
God's renewal begins with me. What we see in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to continue studying it today, is that the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of Nehemiah's heart in such a way that he was preparing Nehemiah. He was preparing Nehemiah to be a part of the renewal in Jerusalem, that broken city. And let me tell you folks today that God wants to prepare you. God's Spirit is searching this room this morning, and He is looking for those who are willing to be used by Him for renewal. Willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and do a change inside of you that prepares you for renewal. God is wanting to do that this morning in you. And there's a couple of ways He does that. Last week we looked at the first way, and that is that God wants to give us a heart of compassion. He wants to give us this heart of compassion. What happened last week was that Nehemiah got word of the brokenness, of the destruction of Jerusalem. And in fact, you know, Nehemiah probably had heard about the destruction of Jerusalem because that happened 140 years before this moment when the folks are walking into his door in 445 B.C. But in some way, spiritual, spirit-filled way, God brings a word about the city that he probably already knew was in somewhat of a mayhem. But it took on fresh meaning. It hit him in a way that it, he, he hadn't been hit before. And it broke his heart. God brought awareness to his life in a way that he, he had never realized just how devastating this really was. And he was led to brokenness in a way that he had never been. You know, a lot of times in our life, as we've been journeying this past week, for those of you who have been part of this church for a while and get our daily emails, we've been looking at the different areas of brokenness all week. And a lot of times we are aware of things. The problem is we don't feel things. We know the information, but we don't feel with the information. What we saw last week is that God wants to use his spirit to bring a spirit an awareness and a brokenness in our life that brings into our heart the very heart of Jesus, the heart of compassion that Jesus has for that which is broken. And I pray this week that God has been cultivating that heart in you, that he's been giving you his heart for our city, that he's been giving you his eyes, not that you would just see things, but you would see them as he sees them, not that you would just pass by people, but you would feel for them as he feels for them first step of renewal that has to happen in us is that God would bring in us a heart of compassion. And I pray that that heart of compassion you'll continue to pray for and seek. Well, the second thing that we're going to be looking at today is this, and as we continue our study of chapter 1, it's that not only does God want to bring a heart of compassion in us, but secondly, he wants to bring a heart of faith in us. A heart of faith in us. I want to go to tell you where I'm going, and then we'll read our passage and we'll step through it step by step. If we go to the next slide, you'll see where we're going today. When we bring our brokenness to God in honesty and our desires to God in faith, hope is on the horizon. When you're willing in your own life to bring your brokenness to God, our, our community's brokenness to God, our city's brokenness to God, our nation's brokenness to God, our world's brokenness to God in honesty, just give it to Him, hope is on the horizon. When you're willing to bring your desires for God in your personal life, in our community, our city, our nation, and our world, when you're willing to bring those to Him in faith, hope 
is on the horizon. Everybody look at your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 1, and we will step through this together, beginning in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah is letting us in, it's like a personal journal here. Nehemiah is letting us in to what happened that day that he heard the words of brokenness that totally broke his heart about the city that he loved. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, Oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, and keep my commandments, and do them. Though you're dispersed, be under the farthest skies. I will gather them from there, and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. What we see here is that Nehemiah, God did not only just give him a heart of compassion, but God gave Nehemiah a heart of faith. There's a principle in life I want to show you. Next slide. What you depend on and where you turn to in times of heartache and challenge will always show you where your hope really is. Did you know that? When you have bad days, when you're faced with circumstances that feel beyond your control, when you get frustrated, when things don't go as you planned, when things are just quite honestly filled, or they feel just messed up in your life, where do you turn? Who do you go to? What do you find yourself doing? Wherever you turn, whatever you go to, that will always show you where your hope really is, where your consolation really lies. I just want to point your attention this morning to this reality for the Christian. Our hope is in God. Let me, let me say that one more time. Our hope is in God. 
And thus, above all, we are a praying people. Okay, let me, let me just say this again. Our hope, your hope, if you are a believer this morning, is in God. Your only hope is in God. And thus, above all, when you're faced with challenges, and you're faced with despair, when you're faced with frustration, and you have hopes, you don't go to a million different things. You go to God. Above all, we are a praying people. Prayer marks the life of a believer. Because God is not just the one who saves us. He's the one that sustains us. Amen? God is everything for those of us who are called unto his name. I love the Lord God. And because of that, because I know he loves me, and that's really the foundation for my hope and your hope, I am a praying person. Listen, Nehemiah was a man of faith. In his heart, he really believed God. God was everything to him. And the outflow of that faith, when he's met with brokenness, is what? Is a life of prayer. If you really believe God, and let me just let me just speak honestly with my friends in this room. If you really believe God, if He's really your hope, you will be a praying person. If you're not a praying person, if you're not going to God with all that you are over and over in life with little prayers and big prayers and honest prayers and hard prayers, if you are not a praying person, you're missing out on one of the greatest blessings in life. Because God is our Father. He is our hope. He's made himself available to us any time you call. Listen, if I wanted to call Mayor Wharton this morning, how many days do you think it'd be before he could see me? I'm not very important to him. Probably. I love you, Mayor Wharton. If you listen online, we're glad you're listening. <laughs> Hope you, you know, I hope you schedule it soon, but probably not, right? If you wanted to see the president, how many days in advance do you think you got to get that on a schedule? Yeah, long time, and he definitely wouldn't see me. And who are you, for that matter, unless we win the Super Bowl, which I'm not going to do. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is, with human leaders who are in positions of authority, it's hard to have access to them. God says, I have all authority. All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. And I want to be your father. I invite you into my throne room anytime. You can come to me with little things and big things, hard things, difficult things, and it's okay. You can come in anytime. No appointment needed. Talk to me and I listen. Amen? Isn't that good news? Listen here. If you're not a praying person, it shows. I'm, I'm fearful that if we're not praying people, and what it shows about where our hope really is is that it may not be totally in God. If we don't go to him first with our challenges and our brokenness and our desires, then it shows that our hope may not be fully in him. Nehemiah was a man. God was beginning to work a change into his life through the power of his spirit. That he was a man that in the midst of total brokenness and total need, Wanting so bad for the city to be renewed. So much desire. He was a man that knew that if change was going to come, if renewal was going to come, it was going to happen because of God. 
not because of self. And because he knew that, he went to God first. I'm so glad Nehemiah didn't run around going, oh no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Right? Or, or, or take to his blog, well, I heard Jerusalem's in a mess. Let me philosophize here for a little while and talk about the needs of our city and, you know, just talk. I'm so glad he didn't freak out and run away. I'm so glad he didn't start work immediately. No, Nehemiah knew that if renewal was going to come, it was going to come because of God. And therefore, in brokenness and in desire, the first place he runs is to God because his hope was only in him. Amen? Listen, Nehemiah is going to get done. I'm going to tell you the end of the book before we start it. Somebody got on to me last night for ruining a movie the other week in a message. I said the end to a particular movie, and it just messed them up. I'm sorry that I do that sometimes. But let me tell you the end of Nehemiah. <laughs> Renewal is going to come. And I want to tell you the end of the story of Memphis. Renewal is going to come. Let me tell you the end of the story of the world. Renewal will come. Out of heaven, there's going to come a new city and a new earth, and everything will be made right. The end is that renewal is going to come. Now let me tell you the means. It's going to come when people are willing to call out on the name of the Lord and pray. It's going to come when people depend on God. It's going to come when people get desperate enough to say, Oh God, you're everything that we ever could hope for. You're everything that we need. Oh God, will you do a work in the city? Will you do a work in me? God, it's going to be you. Amen? That's how renewal comes. When men and women like you believe God. Let me tell you, it has been 140 years that Jerusalem had been in destruction. And it's going to take only a matter of months before Nehemiah can bring renewal. You don't want to know the difference? Prayer. God can do more in one day in your life with him doing it than you can do in 50 years of your life with you trying to do it. We need to learn to let go, to give ourselves to God. If we live in dependence on Him, if we live bringing our brokenness and desires to Him, hope is on the horizon. Hope is on the horizon. Not because of you, but because of I want renewal in my life. I want renewal in this city. Do you? Do you want it? How's it going to come? We going out and doing a bunch of good works? Trying our best? No. Although it's going to involve us. It's going to come because of God's Spirit working through us. And His Spirit will only work through us when we give ourselves to dependence on Him. Amen? So thus, we turn to Nehemiah's prayer. I want to point out something real quick. This prayer occupies only a few verses in chapter 1. In the real timeline, if you look at the months, four months. Nehemiah is praying this prayer for four months. He's on his face before God for four months. Before God begins to release him to do anything. Sometimes our problem in prayer 
is not just that we don't pray, but that we don't wait on God when we pray. We need to believe God in such a way that we will pray until God answers. Amen? Four months of honest prayer. I want to walk through this prayer this morning with you. And I hope you have got keep your Bibles open because we're going to reference it as we go. There are four basic things that Nehemiah had his hope in. Four basic things. And if you've got something to write with, if you've got a phone this morning, I encourage you to take it out. Don't check the score. Don't look at the weather. I want you to take notes on your phone. Okay? Whatever you have this morning to write with, the bulletin in your chair, pen, I'm asking that you take something out and, and write this down. Because I want you to point our attention this morning to hope. I want to point our attention this morning to how we can pray and how we can believe and how we can expect for God to bring renewal in our own life and in our city. Now, I need to be careful with one thing because when I teach on prayer, sometimes teaching on prayer can look like, you, well, you've got to do this and then this and then this and then this, and we make it very systematic, as if this is the formula to pray. You put this quarter in and out pops this answer. That's not the way we pray. The way God invites us to pray is with brokenness and with honesty and with boldness and with confidence in his love. We come to God as we are. You just talk to God. Just start talking to God. That's prayer. All right? Little things, big things. You can come with anything, and that is prayer. So as we walk through these, I'm going to showcase how Nehemiah prayed and specifically what his hope was in. But I'm not trying to say this is a formula for every prayer that you have to pray. Although I think some of these should be included in all of our prayers. What I'm trying to do this morning is point our attention to hope, the hope that we have in God, the hope that Nehemiah had in God, and the hope that we have for renewal. So the first thing is, is this. Nehemiah had his hope in the character of God. He had his hope in the character of God. Oh, I'm so glad that Nehemiah didn't look at the situation and go, okay, I got this. No, he knew that if renewal was going to come, it was going to have to come outside of himself. He knew it was going to have to come, not because of who he was, but because of who God was. His hope in life, his hope for renewal, his hope for change was not based on him, but based on God who would work through him and through all for his glory alone. Amen? His hope was in God, not self. Specifically, let's look at how he prayed. Verse 5, he says this. And I said, O oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Listen, when, you, when you're faced with a circumstance bigger than you, you need a God bigger than you. Amen? When you're faced with a situation outside of your control, you need one who is in control. When, you're, when you are at a place of rock bottom, total despair, wanting somebody to lift you out of the pit, the one you pray to better lift, be able to lift you out of that pit. And thank God we have a God who is able. We have a God who is faithful. Listen to my praise. Oh, Lord. This is the, the Hebrew word for Yahweh. Lord, the personal God who loves us, who's made himself known to us, who's covenanted himself with us. Lord, the God of all gods. And he says, oh Lord, God of heaven. 
It's like, Lord, when you put Lord and God of heaven together in the Hebrew, what you get is God who is God above all gods and the only God. That's essentially what you're praying. It's the same way that Jesus prayed, our Father, who art what? In heaven. Why are we praying that way? Why does Ezra pray, pray this way? Moses pray this way? If you look at so many of the people used by God, they're praying, oh, Lord, God of heaven. It's because there's a recognition when we go to God that he is the God above all gods. He has all power, all authority over every power in the world, over every principality of the world. He is God alone, and all are subject to him. We pray to God, and when we pray to God, we're praying to the only wise, all-powerful, infinite, eternal being in all of the world. And he's big enough to handle our prayers. Amen? Oh, Lord, God of heaven, I'm coming to you. The great and awesome God. This word in the Hebrew, great, you want to know what it means? Okay, y'all, I'm uninterested for this word means strong. It's literally the word picture of taking three ropes and tying them together. Oh, great God you are. There is no one stronger than you. You will never break. There is nothing that you cannot do. You are the strong and mighty and capable God. Great God. An awesome God. That word is a... It basically means to fear him. You are the one to be feared, the one to be respected. You have all power and strength and might, and anything that you say, you can do. I come to God, the Lord God, who is personal God of me, the God who is above all gods, the one who is strong and none can break, the one who should be feared. His name is above all names, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. That word keeps his covenant in Hebrew literally means who is a watchman. I was in Africa a few weeks ago, as some of y'all know, and we had guards there. The place where we were staying, there was a guard outside of our compound. To be honest, I was really glad the guard was there. You don't know why? Because he kept watch all night for things that I could not expect, things that I didn't know were coming. He kept watch over me all night long, to protect me, to ensure my safety. He was a watchman. God is one who keeps covenant. He is a watchman over his covenant. Isn't that good news? Even when you may not understand, when you are faithless, God remains faithful. He watches over his covenant. Everything he promises, he is attentive to it, making sure that nothing will fall through the cracks. Everything he promises is true. He's faithful to his word. Amen? And not only that, he keeps steadfast love. This word in the Hebrew is hesed. This is one of the most profound words in all the Hebrew languages. It talks about God's faithfulness and his love coming together in one. It's a word that literally means loving kindness, loving faithfulness. A love for you and his people that never ends. He always loves. He is always faithful. He is always using his power, working toward your good through his love and his glory. Isn't that awesome? Somebody get excited about this. This is God. This is God. 
and whose love leads us to want to love him in return. Nehemiah goes to God, and his prayer, first of all, his hope is based on not who he is, but who God is. And because of who God is, there is hope. Let me tell you why I get excited about renewal in Memphis. Because of who God is. Amen? You want to know why I get excited about renewal? Because I know that God, when we go to him, he's the great and awesome God. He is able. He is faithful. He is all-loving. He keeps his promises. Renewal is possible because God is who he is. And he's a wonderful God. And he's an awesome God. And when we go to him, you can go in faith, believing that he can handle your prayer and answer according to his power for his glory. Do you know God? When you pray, you pray with hope in God. Do you pray with confidence in who he is? Is, your, is the reason you struggle in faith sometimes, I think the reason I struggle in faith sometimes is because I don't believe that God is who he says he is. If I believed who, him to be who he says to be, I wouldn't struggle with faith. My struggle is believing him to be who he says he is. If we had faith, if, we, if Nehemiah was a man who knew God and knew his word, if we knew God, oh man, our prayers would be so much more faithful. I want to encourage you this morning to know the great and awesome God. I want you to know him and believe him. Knowing God is the foundation for all of our hope. Not because of him, not to us, oh Lord, but because of your name. Because of your name and your faithfulness to you be the glory. Secondly, look at this. Not only the character of God, but secondly, the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Our hope is not only in the character of God, but it's also in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. If you'll look back at your Bibles, Nehemiah moves from a time of praise and adoration, which, by the way, should be a part of every prayer time that you have, praising God. Thanking him, calling out on his name, remembering who he is, submitting yourself to him. He moves straight from that time of sweet worship into a time of confession. Verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. He's pleading that God would listen, that God would hear his prayer. He's coming with desire and brokenness, and I pray that you would come because you want to come with a purpose in mind. And he says, which we have sinned, excuse me, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you, and we have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant, Moses. Like many men in the Bible, Nehemiah is faced, right after he faces the greatness and glory of God, he becomes keenly aware of his own need, his own brokenness, and his own sin. Same thing happened to Isaiah. Remember that? Isaiah chapter 6, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and then soon after that, right after, he sees this wonderful vision of who God is. 
He is woefully aware. Oh, woe is me. I am undone, a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. When you have a right vision of who God is, you're going to have a right vision of who you are. Right vision of who you are don't come from self-help books and Dr. Phil and Barnes & Noble philosophy book section. All right? Be the best you that you can be. No. Right vision of who you are comes from a vision of who God is. When you see God for who he is, you're going to see you for who you are. Sin becomes aware to Nehemiah. Sin is essentially us not reflecting the image of God as he intends us to be. Us not being like God. And he becomes aware of sin when he sees God and he sees how far short he has fallen and he have, his people have fallen. See, why were they in exile? Why were the Israelites in exile? Why was Jerusalem broken? Why were the walls destroyed? Why was all of... Listen, some of us have read this week about the same things in our city. Why are things the way that they are? Why does brokenness exist? Is it because of God? It's because of us. Jerusalem had been destroyed because of Israel's re continued rebellion and disbelief. The fact that they continue to walk away from God. Memphis is in the state that it's in today, guys. Because of the sin of people. And I love that Nehemiah here doesn't just start going, it's because of the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's the black people. Those Asian people are the whites who did all that. It's the people from the 60s or the 70s. And pointing his finger all around, God, look at all these heretics. Look at all these rebels. Look at all these people who are so faithless. No, what did he do? and also God. You're so faithful in your steadfast love and faithfulness. Keep the covenant. Lord, I confess today that I have sinned against you. And we and our people, we have sinned against you. <coughs> Nehemiah didn't point fingers. He took it for himself. Nehemiah knew that he was guilty. It says here in the Bible that what? It says, we acted very corruptly against you. That word is wickedly. It's the idea that you've got a master and you've directly disobeyed the order of that master. And he says, we have done this and I have done this, even me and my father's house. The brokenness exists today because I know, God, I know, I know, I know that I'm a mess. And I know that I've done my part to contribute to this mess. And so, God, I'm bringing to you this morning my problem, my share of the responsibility here, because I know that I share it. Listen, some of you this morning look around at Memphis in the way that it is, and I do the same. Some of us look around and we're quick to say, okay, we'll write about it on our blog, look at all this mess. If it, if it were just this or this or this or this or this, then then. None of this would have happened, and it would all be better. But I want to tell you this morning that God wants you to start with you. The responsibility starts with you. Have you followed the Lord Jesus with your whole heart here in Memphis? Have you served him faithfully in every opportunity that he's given you to serve? Have you been a generous giver here in Memphis so that the needs of our city could be alleviated? 
Have you shared the gospel of Jesus with those who you know in your own context so that they might have hope and they might experience redemption? Have you done your part here in Memphis? I know I haven't done mine. I don't think we as a church have done all that we can do. Repentance needs to begin with me. Repentance needs to begin with you. We have responsibility in the brokenness of our city today. Amen? You don't want to say amen. Say, oh me. We have responsibility. Nehemiah saw that this, his, his sin of he and his father, he's owning up to the fact that he himself has acted in a way that has led Israel into exile and has caused the destruction of Jerusalem. He's owning up to it. He's confessing it. And he's bringing it before God, saying, this is the deal with me and my family. Would you be willing to do that today? Let me tell you, our hope is not in our perfection or in our piety or in our moral goodness. Our hope is in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. If any renewal is going to come through me, it's going to be because of grace. Amen? And let me just tell you, when you sin, don't miss out on the blessing of confession. There is a wonderful blessing that comes with confession. Do you know what confession is? Confession is simply you saying, you agreeing with God about your sin. When you confess, do you think that you're telling God something he doesn't know? Oh God, I know you didn't see me last night, this is what I did. surprising God? No. You're not surprising God. What is confession then? Confession is you coming to a place of agreement about your sin that God already knows is sin. It's you guys coming to an agreement about what was wrong, finding reconciliation, and being able to move on. Listen, Michelle and I, Michelle is all the time sinning against me. <laughs> all the time sinning against me. You know, and I always just tell her, babe, you know, unless you Repenting out sin. You know, we're not going to be able to... I'm just kidding. <laughs> Michelle doesn't have really. I sin against Michelle frequently. And sometimes Michelle will bring things up to me. And you know what, what the first thing that I do, guys do and girls do? Defensive. Well, I, I don't think you understood that. Or you might have misread that. I really wasn't saying that. You, if you had known my heart, right? You would know. I didn't mean that. Some of y'all who are married are laughing at me. But what happens is, as long as I am not admitting my wrong, our relationship comes to a standstill. We are not effective in our relationship. We don't grow in our relationship. We can't be used in our relationship. As long as there's something between us that hasn't been dealt with, we're going to come to a standstill. I need to own up to what is wrong. And when I agree with her that I was wrong and she knows I was already wrong, what happens? Reconciliation and then forward progress. Right? Man, we're moving. Same thing in our relationship with God. Confession is agreeing with God about the wrong that he already knows is wrong. Confession is coming to God and agreeing with him and admitting it. I'm, I'm sorry. And I didn't just sin. I sinned against you. I, I sinned against you, God. This is a wicked sin. I knew what I was supposed to do and I didn't do it. And I agree with you, God. This is wrong. And the wonderful thing in God's word, the promise is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, God says to us, if you confess your sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you, to wash you clean 
of all unrighteousness. Isn't that good news? Don't miss out on the blessing of confession. Listen, if renewal is going to come in our city, it's going to be because we live on our knees before the Lord. Admitting that if it were up to us, we'd fail. And there's nothing in us that could ever do it. It's God by His grace. We live by repentance, Lord. We, we know that we've been wrong. We know that many in our city have been wrong. But Lord, it starts with me. It starts with me. And I bring my responsibility to you and my sin to you, Lord. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you give me your grace and forgiveness. Make me clean. Amen? There's no need to have to hide in shame. There's no need to have to hide in guilt. There's no need to have to be all self-righteous and covered up. Because Jesus on the cross provides forgiveness for every sin. There is no sin that he will not and cannot forgive. There's no sin in your life today that Jesus cannot and will not forgive. Bring your sin to him. Confess it and let him restore you. We need to be a church that repents individually and corporately for the responsibility that we've had in the decay of our city. And we need to ask God to bring his spirit back to us, to aliven us and empower us once again, that we might be the people who he intends for us to be. Amen? Number three. The last two are very quick, so. We hope in the character of God. We hope in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. Third, we hope in the promises and the covenants of God. Let's look at the word. After you get finished writing that down, we go to verse 8. We hope in the character of God. We hope in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And we hope in the promises and the covenants of God. Look at verse 8. It says, Remember, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your dispersed be under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there, and I will bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Nehemiah is pointing God's attention to God's own word. It's like if Michelle comes to me and she says, baby, remember when you you said that you were going to do this thing in our house or do this, help me with this thing, which she did this week. I was supposed to fill up her tire, and I was a day late. Babe, remember when you made that commitment to me? Oh, yeah. Oops. Now, God doesn't forget his commitments. He doesn't forget his commitments. I'm not saying that he does. But what Nehemiah is doing here is he's invoking to God his own word. Nehemiah's hope comes from the character of God, the grace of God in his son, Jesus Christ, who paid all sin, past, present, future. And he's also hoping in the promise of God in his word. His faith comes from God's promises. Because Nehemiah knows that when God promises something, he never, never breaks that promise. God is faithful to every promise and commitment that he makes. Nehemiah is a man who knows God's word enough to pray God's word back to God. These words here in chapter 1 come directly from Deuteronomy 28 to 30. You can look at it later on your own time. 
what he's doing here is he's going back to a promise that God made to the Israelites. God had told them, if you're unfaithful to me, if you're unfaithful to me, then I will, just like the word says here, I will let the nations come and take you away. You will be taken into captivity. But if you return to me with all your heart, I'll let you. Was that one? I'll let you whatever. Um, no, he says, if you return to me with all of your heart, I will again restore you and bring you back to the land that is yours, the land that I want to give you. I'll bring you back to Jerusalem, and I'll allow your city to be renewed and restored again. And what Nehemiah is doing here is he's saying, God, do you remember your word? Oh, God, I know that where we are today is exactly because you promised that if I walked in disobedience, I would get the results of disobedience, and that is captivity, oppression, being taken away from the land. And, Lord, we're here. We're here. And we know that. God, we believe your promise, and, Lord, we've seen it come true. But, God, you also said in your word that if we were faithful, if we returned to you with our hearts, that you would return us to the place that you have prepared for us, God. And right now, I'm coming to you because I believe your word to be true. And God, we're beginning to return to you. I and my own family, I'm turning back to you, God. I'm completely yours again. I confess where I've been wrong, and I'm back again, Lord. Renew me. And Lord, please be true to your word. That the renewal that you promised would come, and it would come starting with me. Nehemiah knew God's word and believed God's word, and he knew God's promises and believed God's promises, and he claimed those promises in faith as he was praying for the brokenness of his city. You want to know why I hope? I have a hope for Memphis? Because I believe God's promises. God has promised wonderful things when we believe and obey him. He's promised to bring forgiveness when people turn to Jesus. He's promised to bring healing when we turn back to him. He's promised that the oppressed could be helped and the broken could be mended and the, the imprisoned could go free. He's promised amazing things for us. Listen, the promises that he gave his disciples are true for us. The promises that he gave for his church are true for us. You want to know why I have hope for Memphis? Because God is faithful to his promises. Amen? The question is, do we know his promises? And do we pray them in faith? Do we pray them in confidence? Believing that God can do what he says he can do. I'm ready, church. I'm ready to see renewal in our community. You know how it's going to come? Is when we rise up in faith to believe the promises that God makes for us in this city. Are you willing to pray in faith in his promises? Finally, we see his hope, not only in God's character, not only in the grace of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, not only in the promises of God, but in the eternal, redemptive purposes of God. You look at verse 10 and 11. You will look at this and then close. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power 
And by your strong hand, O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. And grant him sight and his family. They are your servants and your people. Who's they? He's talking about the Israelites. These who were experiencing captivity, who were so far away, so far, the city was so far from where it should be, the people were so far from where they should be. And he's saying, they, God, they are your servants. They are your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. What Nehemiah is saying is, Lord, your name is on your people. Don't you understand, Lord? Your name is on us. You rescued us from the oppression of Egypt. By miraculous signs and wonders, you delivered us out. You marched us into the promised land. You gave us this city, and it's been built for your glory, God. Your name is attached to this. And God, right now, your name is being shamed among the nations. By our own wickedness, we have let you down. Lord, these are your people. Will you restore them for your glory, for your purposes, for your redemptive plan in the world? You want to know the main reason that God moved the people back to Jerusalem? is so that God would be faithful to his promises, that his glory would be revered in all the nations. God is a God who is committed, totally committed to his name. And because he's committed to his name, and because we bear his name, I'm going to pray in confidence that the Lord would be committed to me because he's committed to his glory. Amen? If my glory, if excuse me, if his glory is wrapped up in my joy, then I'm going to pray for redemption and my joy because I know that when I'm satisfied and when the city's renewed as it should be, he will get the glory. Everybody tracking with me? This is about his name. One of the main reasons that we should pray in faith and pray in hope for Memphis is because I believe that when the church repents and becomes the church that we should be, when the community gets right as the community should be, God will be glorified. His name will be praised. And listen, we do things not for our name. We don't want ICC to be some great, awesome church. We want Jesus to be known as a great and awesome God. I could care less about the name of Barrett Valley. Actually, I care more some days than I should. That's part of my confession this morning. Who cares about Barrett? I want you to know Jesus. Who cares about you and your career and your family? I not mean God cares. <laughs> But at the end of the day, what does that matter? We want people to know Jesus. Amen? We are vessels of his glory. You, you live not for your own sake, but for his sake. Our church exists for the name of Jesus. One day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be singing praise to his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's Philippians chapter 2. We are wrapped up in his name. And because his name is wrapped up in us, we pray with confidence, Oh Lord, we are your people. Would you bring renewal for your name's sake? 
not ours. Everybody with me? Do you care more about God's glory or do you care more about your own? If you care more about God's glory, I believe we'd be praying more in faith that he would do what only he can do in our city because of his namesake and not our own. Message is finished. Here's the bottom line. Most people only walk away with one thing. Some of you guys are drifting off, and I'm just calling you back to attention. Most people only walk away with one thing. So I'm just going to tell you the one thing I want you to walk away with. I'm calling us as a church back to total dependence on the Lord and life of prayer. If we're going to see renewal come in Memphis, if you want to see renewal come in your life, and in our community, and in our city, and in our world. You know how it's going to come? You know how it's going to start? It's going to start on our knees. It's going to start on our knees. Confessing to God. Repenting. Believing. We want God to bring in us a heart of faith. A heart that believes His character. A heart that believes in His grace. A heart that believes in his promises and a heart that is, believes that God is committed to his name above all else. Let me tell you, that has to start with you. This morning, I'm calling you and I'm calling our church to a season of faith, a season of prayer. And I would ask in this next week that we would be moved to not only just a season of prayer, but a season of fasting and prayer. That we would go without. So that we would go to give God even more of our time and more of our attention and more of our affection. I believe that God wants renewal in Memphis. Do you? But I know that that renewal starts with our willingness to get on our face before God and believe Him for who He says that He is. Are you willing this morning to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a heart of faith? Are you willing to commit to be a person of prayer? Listen, some people can give a lot of money. Some people can stand up and preach. Some people can lead all kinds of organizations. Not everybody can do all that. But everybody can pray without ceasing. And if you're not a person of prayer, you're not playing the role that God wants you to play in our city. If you're not a person of prayer, it shows deep down that what your hopes are and what your dreams are and what your desires are really aren't totally of God. I want you to be a person of prayer. I want you to be a person that believes God and lives on your face. And I'm not talking in philosophy this morning. I'm talking about you tomorrow morning when you wake up being a person, a man or woman of prayer. I'm talking about you Tuesday at lunchtime, going without lunch, and instead getting on your face and somewhere in private and praying before God. I'm talking about you and your family Wednesday night of this week. And instead of having dinner, you sit around and have a prayer time together for your family and for our city. I'm talking about you on Thursday, meeting with your small group. And instead of your normal group, praying together for an hour for our city. I mean this. I'm calling us to get on our faces before the Lord. And believe that God can and God will. He's faithful. He's able and merciful. And in his love, he wants renewal. But it's going to come when we believe. Will you 